When Rachel Held Evans died on May 4th of 2019, she left a significant emotional and cultural void. One that was felt by her followers and readers, but also one that was felt differently by those she was working alongside. See, Rachel was part of a whole tribe of persons working as she was to establish and celebrate new language for a generation of people of faith. In the long shadow of her passing, other members of that tribe felt a kind of responsibility, a weighty responsibility, to continue the legacy she was forging. Among those people was and is Matthew Paul Turner. When I met Matthew recently, he was quite literally surrounded by hundreds of copies of his most recent children's book. As a New York Times best-selling children's author, Matthew had taken on the particular and beautiful responsibility of finishing a children's book Rachel had begun before she passed. Entitled, What is God Like? The book is less an effort to answer that question precisely and more an imaginative exploration of the possibilities that question presents. Possibilities that might mean there is room in God for everyone. It is a poignant and appropriate continuation of Rachel Held Evans' legacy. It is also a beautiful and powerful addition to the body of work that Matthew Paul Turner is releasing into the world. I truly enjoyed my conversation with Matthew, and I think you will too. Check it out. Where are we? This is your house. What town is this? Nashville. This is still Nashville? Yeah, it's still Nashville proper. It's Bellevue community. I mean, it's the town of Bellevue. Bellevue right. It's still Davidson County. So. Are you from, from Nashville? No, I grew up in Maryland. How'd you get here originally? I knew it was, a, it was a rock and roll thing initially, yes? Yeah, I went to Belmont first. Oh. Um, majored in music business and was planning on doing the whole like music business scene. Um, and then uh, I woke up and I, you know, as a graduate, I was a server at a restaurant and I didn't want to wake up 10 years from then and still be a server. And so I went home for a while. And then I um, eventually came back here because I ended up being the editor of CCM. Which is a job you went in to get? Or was it like a, like, did that happen on accident? How do you end up being the editor of CCM? Because, right, without, without having like any writing experience. Right. <laughs> well, I, like I ended up being, you know, I ended up doing Jam and Java in Northern Virginia. And that was like a music venue thing. Yeah, the music, like the, the little coffee house kind of thing. Yeah. And because of that experience, I ended up booking talent into the, you know, I, that was my responsibility or one of my responsibilities. And I was offered a writing gig that I left Jam and Java for at crosswalk.com. <laughs> and it was, the, I, was the, I became their music and entertainment editor based solely on the idea that I knew music business, but I didn't really, I wasn't really a writer. I mean, I, like, yeah. I, you know, wasn't something that I did all the time. It was anyway. the topic. You were familiar with the topic. Right. And six months later, I was, uh, CCM came to me. Yeah. And I was way out of my league. Like, I mean, I mean, it was like, it, like I shouldn't have had that position. Like, it, like it was not something. Did you love it though? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, like yeah. it was, you know, I mean, I literally became one of those people who like, when I walked into a room, I was like ushered to the most important person in the room yeah. that was being celebrated there. Yes. And you know, that I wasn't, it was my job to talk to them. And I, and, and you're like, I, a year before, two years before, um, I was literally serving coffee at a coffee. <laughs> so it, there was very little transition, uh, like as to like what to say yeah. to somebody who was important or that kind of thing. I mean, like, yeah. I had no, I was real awkward with it. And I mean, I like there, like I had to, like I, I, like, <laughs> I took, I, I, I got, I had a friend um, who was an, an English major who yeah. like would literally spend hours with me a week like <laughs> helping me figure out like just learn basic editing doing the writing stuff and things like and it became something that i like i was a quick learn like it, yeah but it be created a an environment early on in the experience because not only did they hire me 
they let me live in DC for a year. <laughs> so like I instead of move here. Yeah, I, so I edited it from DC. Really? Yeah, and I flew down once a a month. Wow. Um, and and I did that for three years, three and a half years, um, and then I I was let go because we had I was hired because I had taken Crosswalk to not just be a music channel but to be an entertainment from a faith perspective channel yes and ccm the, the powers at salem wanted to do the same thing with ccm hmm. and so that's what we did but the ccm world freaked out really? um why uh, because suddenly um third day was competing for the front cover with uh bruce almighty oh and we I had planned, we had literally put Bruce Almighty, the movie, on the cover, and Provident just threatened to pull every <laughs> single piece of advertising. They didn't know how to share their own space. Yeah, and so what happened was, <laughs> like, like, we went to print, and I woke up the next morning, 12 or 12, like, literally, and it's the next morning, and my boss had switched the cover back. Wow. And so, um, and so, like, I became, basically, CCM needed to make a, I guess in some, in some ways they just needed to make a, an announcement that change was coming back, and I became that announcement. It was, I mean, it was, it is yeah. what it is. Like, it just was a... You were there for long enough to, to kind of fall into, like, a rhythm of, like, writing and being public with your writing. And I, and I think that's what, I, you know, I found, like, I realized that I had a good writing voice. Yes. I was not a professional, like, you know, uh, editor in the sense of like my, I still, you know, I still have grammar things that confuse me. Yeah. But I, um, I had a voice that I could easily put down on paper. Yeah. And so that was something that I took away from there. And so like I, it was, it was actually life changing in many ways. Why, why stay in Nashville at that point? <sighs> you know, I like, I like this town. Like, Why? There's, I, I mean, there's a. Um, it's a. If it felt at the time, you know, it felt like a safe place for me to just. Not. Not be fully okay with where I was in my own. Career. Hmm. You know, it was a. Um, that's. I, an, I mean, that's a really interesting, especially at the time. That's an interesting thing to to hear because for a lot of folks, Nashville's the flip. Where they if they're if they don't feel established, yeah, it was intimidating. Yeah. to be here. I mean, you know, and at the time, like I, uh, I, I was, you know, a few months away from getting married, and it was. Um, I think, I mean, I think safe is a, I mean, I think it felt, it felt safe. Okay. It, it wasn't safe in a lot of ways because I realized early after I like got, got let go that many of the friendships that I had developed that I literally would go and hang out with at movies, it was more about my position. <laughs> yes. And I, and I did that, that shocked me. I like, huh. I, because I, even though I was a music business major and I, uh, you know, I was a music business major and I knew the industry. Yeah. I still had a a little bit of a small town naivety yeah. about how it all worked. Yeah. And I thought when someone was my friend, I thought they were my friend. Yeah. Like, and... And especially in the context of like a, like a well, maybe, and I, this is, the, and you and I have talked about this in the past, like especially in the context of like a religiously oriented right. industry, you would figure that you the expect, metrics they're, they're the for friendship and connection yeah. and honesty would be right. fundamentally different, mm -hmm. and they just end up not being. Oh, I mean, even in some ways, even less so than what you find in other industries. Yes. Like there is a because we are. It's almost like we're constantly lying a little bit. Hmm. You know, we're lying because we're we're, we're uh, attempting to portray a life that is less than perfect. Yeah. Um, 
but we're trying to make it look perfect and hmm. and, and and seem okay. And there's a, there's a bit of a Machiavellian bit there where like we've we've agreed to this particular understanding philosophy yeah. of life and connection, and that tends to the assumption tends to either mask what might be, actually be happening in a relationship. Yeah. Uh, versus if you're in the publishing world in New York, like you just assume this is a business relationship. And if there's anything friendly about it, that that would be abundantly clear totally. as opposed to the weird assumption there is in right. like Southern Christian spaces. You, really, in which, you expect Jesus to make a, you, I expected Jesus to make a big difference in how the interactions happened. Yeah. And Jesus doesn't make as big of a difference as one might expect. As broad. And, and, as broad. And, 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 and when Jesus, and sometimes Jesus makes a negative difference hmm. in how, like, and again, I'm using Jesus loosely because I don't, sometimes it's our understanding of Jesus, yes. but you know, it's like quote unquote Jesus. Um, and so like, you know, and again, it's, it's all learning experience. I was, I, I was, I was, I was naive and, um, you know, just in my late twenties and just sort of just then figuring it all out and, you know, um, and not figuring all of it out. And yeah. so like, you know, just, it's, it's, it was, a, it's a journey and you just realize, oh, wow. I mean, I hit some depression after that. Um, hmm. I, but I, uh, but I had literally, um, in my job at CCM, there was a point where I, um, my anxiety had taken me to a place that was really unhealthy, um, mm. from like created a situation where I was very paranoid about what people thought, what people, how people, you know, perceived me. Um, and it j like, I was, there was a point where I couldn't walk past a closed door meeting without assuming, worrying, becoming frantic that, Whoa. that what was happening inside That's was heavy. about me. That's heavy. Yeah. And so like, there was, there was a lot going on at that time for me and yeah. personally. And so it wasn't, <laughs> obviously. You know, yeah. So you, you stayed in Nashville. You're glad you stayed. You love it here. You no, know, I love Like I fell in love with Nashville after I left the music industry. Yeah. Like there is, because, you know, for the longest time, Nashville was music to me. Yes. And at some, you know, after I was, you know, let go from this job, I had to rediscover Nashville as a, as a town of people and, yeah. you know, and, and, it, and, and that's when I fell in love with it. That's yeah. when you, when you start to meet like the everyday people who move here for, you know, healthcare and move here for, yeah. for, or, or grew up, you know, just on the, you know, just one County away or like, you know, yeah. it's, it's like you, you start to realize that there are a lot of really beautiful things about Nashville that, um, that make it a, a cool town. And yes. yet we, and, and we, and yet we have this music industry and we have, you know, yeah. some things like that. And, and it's, um, I think when you come here for music, it could, it is a town that can eat you up yes. in a and big, often big way. Yes, absolutely. Um, and it's, uh, and again, it, it's got some Southern isms about it that are both, you know, that, that, that are, that make it a dishonest town for some, yes. like, because like you, you can, you know, everybody in this town is, is nice. Uh, but finding the people who are truly kind is a you 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 have to get to know work. them and it takes time and yeah. sometimes um, I just know that a lot of my musician friends it's really they've really struggled to find community here like yeah. they have really struggled to like and you would think that it would like at the end of the day you you realize that when you come here for artistry even when you seem like the nicest person in the world, you're still there for yourself. Yes. Like you're still there to, to do, to pursue what it is you believe you're called or. Yes. And friendships know, come like second. Created to be, and friendships come second. Absolutely. Yeah. What is your relationship with the, the rock and roll world look like? Like, do you have like, any connection do you miss no the do you miss being like do you miss this anything conversation about conversation is triggering <laughs> 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 no not really but i mean like it is i don't miss it not at all but i don't miss like it is um 
and, and one part of it is is that the the industry that you and I came from, like, it doesn't exist anymore. Like, it's not, yeah, it, it's, it's a, it, it fundamentally changed. Yes, it's just it is, gone, gone. It's a shadow of what it was. Because there was, you know, I got into it. My first experience with the CCM industry was going to Gospel Music Week. Yeah. And I was like, you know, the, the eight, 19 year old kid who wanted like i dreamed of being the michael jackson of christian music and how sad really like like that 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 back then it meant something different than what it means yes (laughs) you know i mean like that's um like i i I cringe when i say that now um but it's uh um but yeah no i i that was why i decided to go to belmont yeah and you know it was like i thought maybe hey i could you know pursue that and still get my business degree. Yeah. Well, then you come to Nashville and you go to a school that where lots of other people are kind of doing the same thing. Right. And you realize, oh my gosh, like these people are really talented. Like they have like a, they, I mean, like I, I could sing, but you meet other people who really could sing. Like yes. they were gifted in a way that I, you know, that, that it's like my, it's like Van Gogh moving to Paris and meeting the the impressionist and being like, oh, right, okay, well, no, no, th- these folks are actually nailing it. I thought I was doing some really good stuff. <laughs> these folks are killing it. It really is that. Yes, absolutely. And that was and and you just and and I was able to kind of embrace that a little bit. Like yeah. I, um, and so I, you know, I flirted with the idea of you know doing pursuing songwriting for a little bit. Um, but again, there are some people who are just gifted that's at that. That's, like their that, that's their thing. I mean, like they can write a hook. When you leave a, a thing like that, and especially the way that you were sort of ushered out, mm-hmm. um, I've I've always found it really interesting, like to watch. You did you've done a couple of things publicly. Uh, there, these would have been like really small moments that stood out to me. At one point, uh, like you have this was actually you've done this regularly like you 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 have talked about your uh, your love for Amy Grant's music mm-hmm. um she's like this icon of christian music like the christian music industry like you haven't like so there's not like this big gap or like christian music industry trash goodbye like you didn't light it on fire yeah and say oh, it's no, awful no. goodbye this is and then even so far as um i don't remember her name but I, one of the vocalists from one of the hillsong bands i can't keep track because there are like 14 of them but like one of the like one of the female vocalists from the hills like you said something about how much you liked her voice you 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 will um you will publicly talk about things that you still really enjoy about like the Christian music industry, the Christian, you know, industry in general. That's because I, for me, I grew, I grew up in a, in a situation where, uh, a church situation where all of these artists were controversial. Like they were, we were not allowed to listen to Amy Grant. We weren't allowed to listen to Sandy Patty. We weren't allowed to listen to all of this, these hosts of people. So when, I mean, one of the biggest arguments that my mom ever had with me as a kid was she found Heart in Motion, uh, uh, you know, not Heart in Motion. She found the collection, Amy Grant, the collection, her best of album <laughs> in under the front seat of my car. And she and <laughs> I think like, other kids are hiding Playboy. Right. You're hiding Amy Grant. Amy Grant. <laughs> and she like cracked the CD in half, told me to go throw it away. Oh um, my Like gosh. it was, it was, it was, I mean, big deal. Eventually those things, like I, like I literally, I told Amy Grant, I told Amy once <laughs> that I it was like, I bought your Heart in Motion record four or five times because I would buy it, get guilty, throw it away, or I'd get scared. That's and I, so like, amazing. I mean, it is That's so amazing. Like, I was like, I was one of the reasons why you went like quadruple platinum. <laughs> that record. Because every but, record you put out, I bought 10. But these people were, for me, um, they, you know, Twyla Paris and Amy and these like singer songwriters were, weren't simply songs they were windows out of a huh. out of a uh, out of a life hmm. that gave me a glimpse of something different and what a and what a strange twist on that story and this is what i've said this is the thing that's interesting about the way you present this and even like one of your first books you talk about 
your relationship to music in this way mm-hmm. is for, for other, for a lot, it's almost cliche that like, um, you know, kids who couldn't, they weren't allowed to listen to Kiss. They weren't allowed to listen to Def Leppard. They weren't allowed to listen to Run DMC. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they had to listen to, you know, they had to, they, they felt trapped by right. Christian right. rock, Christian hip hop, if that was a thing at the time. For you, it was a way out of the thing you're in. Absolutely. What is again? What a strange twist on the sort of the the grace of culture. But I also think that there was a culture of art within the Christian world during the late '80s, or those early '90s. Yes. Where some of the songwriting was really spectacular. Yes. Like there was some real. Like they, we were writing about real. They were writing about real things. Like, I mean, I can still go back and listen to Amy Grant's, uh, you know, um, oh my gosh, why can't I think of the record? The Lead Me On, Lead Me On. That record has tracks on it that, I mean, they still speak. I mean, they still work. I mean, she was writing about things that nobody else was writing about um you go back and listen to twyla paris's cry for the desert and there was never like nobody ever talks about that song but that song was a pretty i mean a pretty wild um interesting theologically like there was something deep about it um nicole nordeman like there were just there were there were a few singer songwriters who really captured an art that i like I don't think that it was just a copy no. of what was happening. No, it was. It was. It, it, it was its own expression. It was its own expression, and it yes. expressed a depth that I loved about God. Like I loved about theology. I like. Like, and you know, I'll never forget. Like, and I, and again, I would. You know, this was. I went through a real uh, Calvinist stage in my I think that like you know I <laughs> I um I was I was yeah I was curious about Calvinism for a while and out of the gray which was a like a duo band back in the husband and wife duo band back in the early 90s they wrote an album called See Inside hmm. and never had I ever seen or listened and heard theology written into Hmm. music to such a degree that it was like I knew they were reformed thinkers like I knew yeah. like that and so like you just now it's it it lacks depth now like it doesn't have the like it, you know like it, in the broad at sense. some point yeah it it doesn't have the like christian music has um as a whole became more about it became more about like pop expression of you know that kind of clicked and how many times you say god's name and whatever and like it it, it just it, it's different now it's yes. just something different but there was a time when it was deep and there was just it's far less art. it's far less nuanced now absolutely it's not the, the and that get, stuff and that, existed at the and time I say, you say now and it's not just now it, like it there was a major like there there was a change in like 1998 and that was it was when the when we started to popularize worship music yes it watered down the artistic expression yes in christian music yeah um you know and the, we hum- were all, the like, more and, human and, and expression we were, and and honestly so many of us who really loved the art were a part of the problem early on because we we loved some of these worship bands who came onto the scene as worship leaders, as worship songwriters, yeah. and so like they, they were, they kind of were creating this other th- thing. Yes, we didn't expect that thing to then bleed into every other part yes. of the artistic expression and drown I, out everything. Nobody else. ever needed Rebecca St. James to re-record, you know, songs that were made popular by Matt Redman. Like no, I mean, like we didn't, we didn't need that, and yet all of a sudden we had. <laughs> 15 artists all, recording all the all same there songs. there was, yes. So, I mean, and it became a thing. It yes. became a real Still issue. Is. Um, and so, <laughs> uh, 
uh, it just, it changed. It fundamentally changed how Christian music was made. Yes. What listeners expected from it. There's a strange, uh, there's a strange drama in, um, we, we, we use the word safe a lot. We talk about Christian industry stuff and, and like religious um, communication. There really is a, there's this strange drama in uh, either the ability or inability of folks to be responsible publicly to art that references God. Now, I don't want to say that art is about God because I think there's a whole problem there with that, but the art that like, is, is directly referential to God or to religious things. There's this strange drama in the ability or inability of folks to be responsible to that, mm-hmm. to like how do, the, like how do you do that well? The way that ends up getting answered at a, a lot of the time is like, well, we find a thing that works and sells, and we're going to allow that to be a metric <laughs> by which we understand that this is being done wisely and well. Yeah. Um, the in general, and this is not just an indictment; this is an observation. In general, the Christian music industry has sort of made its decision about how that's going to be done. It's going to look this way. It's going to sound this way, mm-hmm. and there really isn't much else happening there. Can you talk about your journey a little bit in being responsible? You write about God. You, your, you, the book you're releasing that you know uh, that you did with Rachel Held Evans is literally called "What Is God Like," and it's written for kids. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about like your like your experience of being responsible to other people as a writer? Talking about God, talking about religious things, do you, like how does that work for you internally? Is this like you're you're just internally processing, and other folks can come along? Do you feel like you know Jen Hatmaker said that she feels like she's in this kind of pastoral role? Like, what's your experience in this space of being responsible to people talking about religious things? I okay. You you brought up Amy Grant earlier. Okay. Yes, one of the things that I have long admired about her was that she rarely used or uses the name of God like blatantly in like she you 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 have an interview with her and she might mention God twice but when she does mention God it matters Hmm. I'll never forget like seeing her live at creation festival um back in you know early 90s and she like you know this was right after heart in motion came out and so she was singing every heartbeat and baby baby and all like and never like never really like when she told a story it was about her it was about like what was going on and you know with her kids and what was all you know just basic life things and then there was this moment right before she sang el shaddai that she told this story about told something that was personal but then applied it to like what how god works in people's lives and whatever and it was she's mentioned god's name one time and it it was powerful in a way because i think that so often when you when we i think when the bible speaks about taking god's name in vain hmm that it's more about what we say about God versus using God's name as a curse word. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think it's like how often we say God, like hmm. we say God all the time. Like we use, we, we, and, and Amy has always avoided huh. that, that habit that every other Christian music artist did not avoid. Like hmm. they just, and there was always some sort of artful expression about God that Amy brought to the table when you, when you talk to her about it. Yeah. So I, that was a fascinating thing. Yes. So like early on, there was something about like how I, when I mentioned God, I wanted it to matter. Like I wanted it to mean something. Yeah. um, As opposed to just be that that's what, that's what Matt does. That's what Matt does. Yeah. Um, I also think that because I was not a pastor, I wrote, like I worked for myself I had no, there was no um, boundaries put around me huh. 
except by the publisher. Um, or like there was no, there was no, like I, I was not locked down by any board. Like, you know, it, it, financially what I said or what I didn't say didn't, didn't affect me all that much to a large degree. Yes. Maybe it did like, you know, in the grand scheme of things, but I didn't acknowledge it. Like I didn't think about it. Yeah. So I was able to get away with saying things that other people wouldn't say. Yeah. Um, and so it, you know, that I build a career questioning how we talk about God, like questioning, you know, what was, is, is are we really doing the best for God's story um, by doing this or saying this? And I also like spent a lot of time talking about like what it is we're actually saying about God when we do this or when we, you know, yeah. make this kind of, dec you know, um, decree or whatever. So, um, it, 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 it wasn't, I, I never like, but I didn't sit and process and think, I'm, you know, I'm going to use God's name and I'm going to do it carefully. And I'm going to, you know, it, like, yeah. it, just, it just is a part of who my, my personality. One of my, of, one of my first season guests, a guy named Gene Yang, who's a, he's a writer, graphic novels and, um, comics and. He's an incredible storyteller. And he tells this story about, <clears throat> he was in college, I think, at the time. Um, going to, yeah, it was college. He goes to a professor and talks about how, like, during office hours, that he is having a hard time um, writing about his faith. And she says, don't. Don't write about your faith. And to which he like he has he balks and like because she's like he he was Christian she is a Buddhist and he's like so like I'm being shut down here what is this she says no just just write about your life and if your faith is real it'll show up mm -hmm. which sound it's one of those very simple like I mean it's very it's a very like of course the Buddhist said this yeah like this very simple like you know chop wood carry water kind of thing that makes like once that sells it that makes a ton of sense and part of like and again like the odd in this is mean like the odd drama of the irresponsibility or responsibility of people talking about god publicly part of where it misses for me is like this does not sound like you now that we're like when someone's talking or singing it's like this sounds like a thing you are talking about mm -hmm. That God, religion, your experience of the divine, this sounds like a thing you are talking about. This does not sound like you talking. Um, which when you reference Amy, like it was it was a thing that was confounding to the religious. Oh. That she was singing about being married and having sex mm -hmm. and like having, you know, and being divorced. And she was singing about like her life. Right. And in the context of, songs and stories about her life mm -hmm. Christ played a role yeah. there was this whole thing it was that it was like she wrote about her life and and God showed up so like she brought so like people heard the name of God that ne or in a way that they wouldn't have heard before like in a pop song like yes. you, you mean, she took music in a, to a place that it at least faith music that it never had been before. This right. was before Baby Baby. Like, yeah. you know, like, it, yeah, yeah. you know, it, people don't realize like how many, like how many top 40 hits she had with like songs about faith. And so I think um, I've never processed my career in a way that was like, how do I say this? Or should I say that? about hmm. God like it's 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 just I talk about how I relate to God and because I tend to use story yeah um people connect to that I mean people connect to stories I mean that's just how we are yes. as humans and I think that um like what you said like when you write about what's going on in your story I do think that sometimes I've sure I've felt the pressure Because we, in our world, you can easily fall for the group of people who are anticipating you, what you're going to say and yeah. how you're going to say it. Yeah. And you can fall for that, like the, you can become like 
oh yeah, I'll fill your expectations. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. you can give into that. Like it's, and I think that, you know, the people who I admire the most don't allow those expectations or those like, you know, what, what people think you should say. Yes. Those shouldisms. Like I've, <laughs> I'll never forget one time I gave a, um, right after my book Churched came out, I did a uh, speaking chapel at a college in Mississippi. And, and I, the guy who brought me in knew I was, might be a little controversial for their scene, but, <laughs> and he, but he brought me in anyway. And he, and afterward he said, you know what? I'm not going to get in any trouble for what you said. I might get in trouble for what you didn't say. Oh, really? <laughs> That's fascinating. But yeah. <laughs> and I just was like, you know what? That's been the, that's, that's a, that is the like a motto that has sort of like rung true many times in my career hmm. because like I will tell a story and just let that story be funny or let that story be a story and don't ever feel like I don't I don't want to force a lesson I don't want to force an application and and we are a culture we were I, I was raised in a culture where application was yeah, flame the flame. Like you had to get there. Like yeah. you had to apply, and if you didn't apply, you were wasting my time. Yeah, and you, and you missed your moment. And this is what I mean, right. like that—the responsibility. Right. And so I do when I, I when I think about my career now yes. as a children's book author. Um, I I hold like I feel like I'm doing some of the most sacred work that I've ever done that if, yes. I, if I'm allowed to leave, like I've never referred to my work like that but it is um I sometimes see that I, I see myself as a that I hope that I write words that will become like liturgy to families yes um it's it comes with and I'm gonna come back to the word a bunch I mean it come it comes with or can come with should you choose it uh, a pretty weighty responsibility to put books to put to make books that parents will put in the lives of their kids because there's the I mean Eric Carl pa passed mm -hmm. two days three days ago mm -hmm. um, there are ways that my kids will understand the world and see color and understand language that will have been formed by Eric Carl mm -hmm. like he he you know, he's a, he's a culture making human. You're doing this with books that are very specifically oriented around like how kids understand themselves in a world shaped by God mm -hmm. that that it can come with, a like a weight of responsibility. Do you feel that? Like, is that, does it, is it yeah, I, I, a I don't gift? Feel, it's a stress. <clears throat> I'm in some ways I am. I definitely feel the weight of the responsibility. Like I definitely feel the, it's not a pressure, it's a gift. Yeah. Because I think that for me, it's, <laughs> writing books for children is often more about what I don't say about God hmm. to them. What do I, like I, because like, right when I first started writing books, about God, I was doing it in a way that was, I, I wanted to, um, I wanted to introduce my own kids to God in a way that was very different from how I was introduced. Yes. Um, what can I say? What story can I tell? What, how can I make this, this idea that there's something about God that, 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 that is rhythmic and fun for kids to engage and not like, dig into some deep theo theological lesson and yet inspire. Yes. Um, and sometimes I, I mean, I mean, I, sometimes I guess I hope, I mean, I, I hope I miss, or I hope I hit the mark once in a while. I mean, like, uh, you know, I mean, I, when I first started, I was, I, I mean, I wrote terrible things, dude. Like, I mean, they were just <laughs> terrible, <laughs> you know, um, but it's, uh, people have responded because of the life hmm. that my books 
that they that my books make them feel like yeah. they just um, yeah. I never I, I underestimated the power of a children's book. Really, um, children's books are are things that show up in places that you don't expect them to. Like absolutely, I, and uh, I've had the emails I've gotten just from when God made you. Um, like I, a pastor walked into a, she was doing um, hospice work in the New England somewhere. And one of her, um, one of the people she was helping pass on was a 99 year old woman. Hmm. And my book was laying on her side table. Hmm. And the lady throughout her last week asked for the lady to read my book to her wow. three different times. Jeez. And that wasn't something that I, I, I didn't write that book for her. That wouldn't, have ha that wouldn't happen with Churched. Right, right. right. <laughs> I had another couple who wrote me um, who had literally three hours with their baby. Like ba the baby was born and it lived three hours. Wow. Um, and they read my book twice. Justin, I don't get that. There is a power with this particular art expression. Right. And again, I don't, I try not to overthink that. I don't want to overthink that. I also don't want to have to, I don't want, like, a book like When God Made You is kind of in some ways has taken on a life of its own kind of thing where yeah. I just have sort of like there's a moment where I'm like and I'm not this kind of person I'm like you know what I, I don't fully understand yes. how that connection that people feel with that book okay yes. I, I don't I like I, I I love that that happens but like it's there is there is something otherworldly about that connection and so I'm I, I acknowledge it without acknowledging it like That's I mean good. I know that it's there but yeah. I just know that I don't want anything I don't want any part I don't want any part of the glory in that because yeah. I feel like I mean like I I, I mean I it, the idea of writing that book was like I mean I cried writing that I mean that book was a big that was a deep experience for me yes um, but it was uh I, I don't I don't over I don't want to overthink overthink it yeah. I'm glad that people connect to it there's another there's another angle to this conversation uh, for, the, for me with around your your newer book um, because uh, it's a book you wrote with and to some degree for uh, Rachel Held Evans like that's a work you finished you guys had started yeah no Rachel started it um and you uh, you chose to pick the project up to finish this thing she was doing very she was she was working really really hard and really really well to be very responsible when you talk about um trying to create different doorways different mm -hmm. language for folks to experience and understand God in ways that they would not have otherwise I mean it's that was the gift that that was Rachel yeah. was she opened and created and kicked open doors she welcomed everybody to the table it was in, it, it her was work was a, incredible yeah um there's there's a different weight that then that comes with this that you're putting this thing together and out with her name on it um, do you feel do you, do you feel a sense of responsibility to her memory in and not so much in her memory, but to her work? Because it's one thing to, it's one thing to like write an article or write even a book about here's this friend of mine, but this is like work of hers mm -hmm. that she was doing that you are now passing on with and in her name. Yeah, what is that like? Well, when I first was invited to consider doing this or like finishing Rachel's work I um, for children I um I like I wanted to do it but I also was not sure that I was the right person and hmm. I I so I needed time like I I I mean I was knew I mean I knew Rachel well like I we're very we were very good friends I followed her and we'd become friends early on in her writing career um, but I also 
was the white guy. And I wasn't sure that I was the right person to hmm. finish the work, her work, because Rachel was all, was very much about building up the stories of other people, yes. like that were outside of the stories we'd heard over and over again. And yeah. I, so I talked, I, I connected with several of her friends, um, you know, talked at length with Dan um, before I agreed to say, yeah. before, before I agreed to do it. Because I just, I never wanted to, um, I never wanted just, I didn't want to miss something. I, yeah. Because I'm, I'm a white male and sometimes just that can blind you to what, other people see yeah and so which was again like her, her legacy her legacy was I mean, like, this thing over here that is peripheral to to the to this dominant culture this thing over here that you're not paying attention to because you're taking care of all this this is actually vital right. this isn't peripheral yeah. and she introduced us to voices that none of us had that we we should have been listening to all along but none of us were None of us were yeah. because they were voices that didn't fit into the norm of what we expected in our world. And Rachel pushed us to hear them. And I think that it's that I mean, so anyway, so I I took it with great responsibility. Um, I my hope and goal with this book was to get as far out of the way as I possibly could hmm. and let Rachel speak. Because yeah. I think that um, when I, when Dan told me, I, we were in the hospital, um, you know, in Rachel's, uh, by, next to Rachel's bed, I, um, when he told, first told me that she was working on children's books. And I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, like, I mean, this was, this was at a time when I, really fully expected she was in a bad spot don't get me don't get me wrong but like i but we all really th we thought, all thought she was gonna pull through right i mean we just i had i didn't think that it was going to end the way it did yeah and you know so dan told me that you know rachel's been working on this these children's books and i was so excited about the idea that my kids would read rachel's Rachel's concepts that were written for them. Like yeah. I just, that was yes. what a beautiful, yeah. beautiful thing. Um, and so when I was invited to do this, it was um, an honor and my goal was to get out of the way. And I swear, Justin, there were, I mean, I, I there were moments in the process of writing this book where I, I, I swear I felt like I was channeling her. Yeah. Like, I mean, I just felt like, I mean, I, this, writing this book was healing. And, you know, I personally was going through a really difficult, it was, it was 2019, 2020 was probably one of the most difficult seasons of my life. Yes. Um, and, was going, you know, knew that my marriage was ending, um, knew, you know, I was getting ready to come out publicly. Um, and I was at a low point. And, and Rachel's words, I mean, they, they helped me see God. Yeah. Like, I mean, they helped me connect to God in a very, very simple way yeah well, there's that yeah. beautiful notion in 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 art making or one the hopeful notion in art making that you end up or work to uh to do the things in the world that you want and need to see that that beyond and again we go back to like part of what makes cheap religious are cheap is this is a thing that is the metric is this is a thing that works and we know sells 
versus like this is the thing that's happening in me and I need to see this in the world. This is one of those works that met you in this really, really troubled moment mm-hmm. for you, this you know, in your own troubled waters yeah. and that you got to enter into and now get to make available into the world. There's like a there's a deep art here. Really. And and you know what the different like we in the world that we come in or we're like we were born into this this church faith um world so often content for kids is all about the message like it's all about what we're gonna say yeah um and i think rachel and i in my books and then also rachel and and how she framed her first book um we they they put the child first hmm they 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 let the child be seen in 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 the process That's of good. this this art and i think that the from what how my books have connected with people is built on that idea that the child is seen the child feels a part of it and not simply a message receiver yes or a message hearer or a learner and in but they're a participant they're a participant they play a role you're like, in the art like you know that there's a childlike wonder to the words in this new book that i just I mean, I, you know, this is one of those books where you feel like, man, there's a chance 30 years from now that parents will still be reading that book to, and it's, and it, and it pushes us outside of, it's going to push a lot of people outside of their comfort zone. Like, I mean, I, one of, one of the things that I have always done in my books is I've, I do not use pronouns for God. I just, it just, it's, I know that for many people, the masculine uh, God that we have grown up with yes. um, is so connected to our relationships with the with men in our lives, like whether they're fathers or father figures or yep. pastors. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to avoid that kind of triggering yes. for kids yeah. um, and for parents. Um, but Rachel... Uh, was all about using pronouns and free to use pronouns, but but ought to use all of them hmm. in, in 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 how God is referred to. So hmm. there is a moment where in the book that it, it's the, the the words on the page are, um, "She is your protector. He is trustworthy. They are friends when you feel alone." Wow. And even that moment, it's, 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 I mean, we've we've heard all of those things about God mm. so many times. Yes. But the blend of pronouns and how they hit us. Yes. The messages take on a completely new emotion. Well, and it it does, it does that work of inviting a reader to say, Mm -hmm. which, where are you, where are you on the page? And there are script, like people don't realize that there are scriptural, there's scriptural context to, um, you, you know, there are moments when God refers to God as they in the in in this in this plural yes um it, or scripture does there are moments when god is described using feminine attributes yes. and you know with or, or or ideas that we are we know to be um you know of 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 a female gender yes um and i i i just think that um i mean nobody sits around and thinks that I mean, I mean, nobody, I don't think anyway, believes that God has a penis. Like, I mean, I think, and I, and I, and yet we, 
are so accustomed to thinking about God in that male sense yeah. that is is um that the pronouns might be the thing that <laughs> yeah. about the, that that push people yes um out of their comfort zone with this book and so it is a um I was the, I think that I, there was a part of me that, that you know in the beginning like it, it, I, I was tempted to to do what I do and just God 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 I'm so glad that I didn't yeah because it has um you got to become a participant in this work as well <laughs> yeah you were Absolutely. you were invited in by Rachel and I and work. I you know it just it really was a it's it, it's a it's a richly theological book. And yet, so filled up with child, childlike wonder, mm. and I think that um, and it's and it's simple, and yet so deep, um, and it, I really feel like of all any book that I've participated in, it, this will be such a beautiful conversation starter for families. Like I think that there are so many elements that we could sit and like we could go through each spread, and every spread, we could sit and chat for. 20 minutes. You would hope, right, that those descriptors, uh, simple, deep, um, childlike wonder, would be things that we would just naturally assume about God and, uh, and the ways we actually experienced mm -hmm. God. And I, I, I would hope and expect that that will be the case with the book. Yeah. Well, I, I think that it's... Um it has a, I, it, it's funny. The one thing that is wonderful about this book that it, for me, just personally, is that I am, it's really hard for me to talk about my own work. Yeah. Like it's just, it's real. Like I, I'm not a, I, I, I'm very uncomfortable just sitting around talking <laughs> about what I do and yeah. whatever, but I have felt a freedom hmm. to talk about this work because yeah. of Rachel's connection to it. Yes. It has given me this pride in this book. Yeah. Because she started it. And I feel like there's a there was a lesson in that for me. Yeah. That it's um that it's okay to feel good about something that you've participated in and and to spread one and want to spread the word about it because like it is a um yeah. i mean i feel like this book has a really beautiful potential to help a lot of people see god and again i don't want to make assumptions but children's books tend to find places where you don't expect them to yes. show up and they, yep. they and they show up and they do something like yep. i some of my favorite stories are getting <laughs> getting letters from uh, people who don't have kids, people who are single yeah. and 28 years old and they're in Target and they're reading my one of my books for the first time and they're sitting in the aisle and they're crying and they're yeah. just like, they don't know why, but my gosh, they, they, <laughs> they, they just, they don't know why they picked up this book, but they had to and they did and it, and it's so funny because- That's like, magic. That, that is one of those things where you just, um, that's really cool. That's, I mean, it's a beautiful it thing and that's how people connect to it. And I'm glad you get to do it. I love what I do. And if you had talked to me 10 years of, or 10 years ago and thought and said to me, children's Matthew, books, you're going to write children's books Love and hands. you're going to love it. Like, yeah. um, I would have thought you were nuts. Well, I'm glad you're doing it. No. Matt, thanks for your time. Thank you. And thank you for listening to this episode of the At Sea Podcast. If you would like to follow up with or dig deeper into Matthew Paul Turner, you can visit him at MatthewPaulTurner.com. He also hangs out on Twitter and Instagram a little bit, sometimes on Facebook. If you would like to be part of the team of people who make this podcast happen, I'd love to have you on my team. Jump to Patreon.com backslash Justin McRoberts and become one of the folks who gets these episodes a little bit early. And come this fall, we'll be afforded the opportunity for a pretty unique gift that I don't think will ever actually be <laughs> offered again. More details on that coming soon. Until next time.